a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And away we go. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Once again, I welcome political consultant Gary Welch. Hi, Gary. Brother Brian, how are you? And considering of today's segment, I think we'll we'll use that reference of (laughs) Brother Brian. (laughs) Actually, I think we have a terrific topic to delve into today. And and I hope this is something that hits people the right way. Um, When when we look over different ideas, what to discuss on the show, um, Gary sends me some really marvelous suggestions. And one of the things that you sent me was uh, Christianity appears to be in decline. And I've seen a couple of news stories over the last couple of days that seem to bear this out. um, and I don't remember the numbers. Perhaps you can fill us in on on some of the uh, statistics behind this. But this would portend not just a, a shift uh, politically, but culturally. If if in fact you know um, church is becoming something that uh, people are are not making a part of their lives, that's a pretty big departure from what traditionally has been part of America's cultural fabric. Um, tell me your thoughts on this. First of all, where where did you become aware of uh, of uh, you know, Christianity, or for that matter, church attendance in decline, particularly here in America. So I was involved with a political party once that was very Christian oriented, um, pretty much dominated by the evangelical Christians and had a very strong Christian message as part of what it was doing. And I had these discussions with them at that time about this mixing of politics and religion and, and where do you draw the line and things like that. And needless to say, I was in the minority, uh, you know, very much in the minority as far as my thoughts on that. But one of the things that they always pointed out was that Christianity has always been involved with government. Our government was founded on Judeo-Christian values and by Christians for Christians with Christians. And that, just the the majority of people in the country were Christian. And so therefore the government should reflect their viewpoints. But I always challenged them on that. Even, you know, this is four or five years ago that this started. And I always challenged them on that because the concept was 70% of Americans identified themselves as Christian. And that's still not too bad. It's, it's down to 62%, but it's, it's still that they identify themselves as Christian. But I argued that point. What does that mean? I'm a Christian, uh, you know, versus an atheist or a Muslim or something like that. And then I pointed out that in in actual church attendance, that was really a whole lot less. And that um, less at that time, 50 percent would say that they attended church on on an even basis. And less than 20 percent even at that time said that they were consistent, that they they attended church all the time. So I was telling them, really, you are only representing 20 percent of America. You're not representing the rest of them because that's who you're basically going with is those folks who attend church all the time and participate all the time. Well, recent polls that have came out this year has shown that those numbers, all those numbers have dropped and that there are even less people who um, identify themselves as Christian. That has dropped 8 percent. Those who attend church 
has dropped another 18 percent. And now it's left for the first time in history of this country. There are more people who do not go to church, and as I should say, a Christian church, than who, who do. And the numbers that are significant, those who just attend all the time, and what you would classify as dedicated and devoted Christians, um, that's dropped about 2 to 3%. So all across the board, it's dropped. Boy, I mean, I knew that among younger people, uh, religion is one of those institutions that they, you know, seem to be turning their backs on more and more. Not to say young people are bad. It's just there's, you know, there's the generation gap. There's different priorities. I think that's that's a pretty observable thing. But I got to tell you, Gary, it, it disturbs me to to think that the influence of religion um, is is waning in society and why it concerns me is because I think we need that competing moral authority with government. Otherwise, state authority becomes supreme, if not supremacist, in the way that it's applied. And, you know, whatever the state says, that is the ultimate, uh, you know, authority. And, and you know, with the, with the current woke culture, that seems like it could lead some really dangerous places. Well, actually, Brian, we have to look at this kind of differently because... There are religions that are growing in America. There are two religions that are growing in America. The first one is is Islam. Muslim mm-hmm. is the fastest growing religion in America. And the second one is is a religion that most people would not identify as a religion, but that's sectarianism. I'm even missing it. Sectarianism. It is growing in America by a lot. I wouldn't disagree, by the way. Um, I've heard it called secular humanist atheism, but the same same idea. It masquerades as, well, at least I'm a non-religion, but it behaves very much like a religion in that it has dogma. It has, uh, you know, it proselytizes. It's very jealous if someone challenges its orthodoxy. And so, you know, I think you could make the case that uh, if we had a state church today in America, it would most likely be secular humanist atheism. Oh, I don't use the word. I don't use the words most likely. We do have a state religion. Okay, fair enough. Talk to me about your take on uh, the the influence of religion in society, and and I hope people listening will understand. We're we're not talking about creating a theocracy. That's that's kind of where um, people, particularly on the progressive left, tend to to knee jerk. You know, um, the the same way that people on the conservative right knee jerk when they see a drag queen reading to kids in a library. You know, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, how can this be? This is leading us somewhere we don't want to go. But is there a positive influence in your opinion that that religion can and should have within a society? Absolutely. And so, you know, by by full disclosure, um, everybody, Brian and I would declare ourselves. I think we would identify ourselves as Christians yep. and, and, and acknowledge that. And comments we have made on the show would indicate that we both believe that way. So I'm coming at it from a bias. But even within that bias, I would classify, my, classify myself as a very untraditional Christian um, in what people would normally say as a Christian. And so in saying these, this, there is this bias, but it's not necessarily like this. Well, we are just hardcore Bible thumpers saying this. And, and what I really want to say is Christian morality, that Judeo-Christian values that were brought to this country had a very strong and positive influence upon our nation, 
upon how it was created and then upon our society. And I would even go to one step further in saying that Christian morality is a good morality for society. In fact, I would say it's the best type of religion for a society to have. Disregard the beliefs, whether or not even if you believe in Christianity and in Jesus Christ himself, if you just ignore all of that, if you just looked at the beneficial aspects of what Christianity brings to a country, they're all they're they're really predominantly positive things that it brings. Well, and you know, I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm throwing this all back to the founding fathers because I'm hiding behind their skirts, so to speak. But um, I, I know George Washington in his farewell address talked about the necessity for religion and morality in a society, especially a free society. And and I don't think he was suggesting, you know, anything that uh, an oppressive white male slave owner, you know, would want to uh, <laughs> just, you know, oppress people via religion so much as he was trying to communicate that if you want to be a self-governing people, religion is one of the best ways to teach large masses of people right and wrong so that they can govern themselves. In other words, they, they self-govern. They don't need that outside influence to keep them in line. Does that make sense? Yes. And and, James, and John Adams uh, quote that um, he was attributed, kind of repeated the same thing. Yep. And, and so rather than trying to force it on people, I just think we should uh, be aware that when, when it's being relegated to the margins of society, which I think it has been for quite some time, and it's been a very gradual process. I mean, come on. How many people actually would know uh, who Madeline Marie O'Hare was? Right, I think in today's time, yeah. Yeah, yeah th- they would say, ooh. That was much better understood back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, but that was, you know, only 20, 30 years out from, you know, when prayer was being removed from public schools and so forth. But that gradual process has led us to a place where um, really the the only legitimate authority that that a lot of people recognize is whatever is legal at the time, whoever's in power at the time. Well, that's your legitimate morality. They'll tell you what's right. They'll tell you what's wrong. And have you ever noticed, though, in the, the really authoritarian regimes, what's the first thing they seek to eliminate? Right. The yeah, competing moral authority. They they don't want religion getting in there and mucking up, you know, their best plans. All right. On that note, we're going to come back to this. We're going to explore this a bit further. Gary Welch is my guest. And we'll be back right after this. is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out to our sponsors, including MonticelloCollege.org, HSLAmmo.com. And, of course, true-light, or sorry, pure-light.com. Hello. I'm just, I I guess the word true slipped out there because it's truly one of the most amazing light bulbs I've seen. Links are in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Click on it, and I think you'll find some great stuff for consideration. Gary Welch is my guest today. We are talking about uh, the decline of religion in American society. And um, Gary, let's let's delve a little bit further into this. Which which direction would you like to take it? So 
this is a political talk show. So let's let's talk about the decline of Christianity. And again, I want to revert. I I want to keep away from the decline of religion because I define religion as a a a a belief system that you have. And atheism is a religion. You know, secularism that's a religion. Non-religion, saying I don't believe in anything, that's a religion. And so there is a growth of religion, but there is a very much a decline. In, in both Judaism and in, in, in Christianity. And what does that mean, and how should Christians react to it? How should the Christians out there, what should be your response, and, and where, where should you be looking at this from? No, okay, I think, that's, I think that's a great place to begin. How, how come so many people associate any um, public expression of religion with uh, somehow, boy, that's, you know, we might as well have a caliphate. You know, this is what the Muslims are trying to do. This is what, what Islam is going to conquer us and, and force us all to, to convert. Uh, when in reality, I mean, come on, there have been churches on corners for, for many, many years. I don't, as far as I know, they weren't shanghaiing people and bringing them in and baptizing them. Why is there this antipathy or this fear? Well, you brought it up yourself and that the the worst uh, enemy of government is religion, because religion autom- automatically establishes a higher authority to you. So you want to eliminate that higher authority. You want to be the highest authority there is. That's how you establish your rules and your regulations. So they always are been and have been pushing for a very, very long time to make America non-secular. Um, and again, that is a religious belief. Everybody says, no, it's not. It's just science. It's just, you know, facts and figures. Uh, I'm sorry, dude. There is nothing proving your point of view of the world that is any more positive than mine, that you have nothing to say that there is not a God as much as I say there is one, and you cannot prove it one way. So it is a system of belief. You believe that. You, you cannot prove it one way or the other. What's what's the greatest value you see that, that religion provides society? And I'm just asking your opinion. There's no right answer I'm looking for here. I do. I I love Christian morality. And I think the principles of Christianity, like I said, make a great society. Look at it. Look what the religion talks about. Love one another. Do good for others. Self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Be honest with one another. Don't harm each other. Do good things for each other. Take care of the poor and the weak. And there the we go. Yep. I mean, come on. How can you build a better society if you don't build it on those principles? No, and that's. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the taking care of the poor, um, because I, was it James who, who I think I'm trying to remember in the New Testament if it was James who said, you know, that, that pure religion is taking care of the widows and the fatherless, and and you know, and that's something that the churches did in American society. At least they led out, but it was private charity and it was private efforts that cared for the needy. And and didn't create this massive, top-heavy welfare state that uh, you know now provides entitlements to to people who you know stay on there for generations. And one of the things, like related to that, from a Christian standpoint of doing this as a society, you and I have, we, we've we've talked about this a lot. It's in the book Embrace Capitalism about 
if we really wanted to take care of the poor, we would take it away from government because government is horrible at it. Look at what they have done and how they have taken care of those who are poor and weak and downtrodden and everything. All they've done is spent a lot of money, caused a lot of pain and anguish, and in a lot of ways made things worse than not better. Look at our poor neighborhoods and and how they are right now. That is a government creation. That is not a society creation. That is purely a government creation that has occurred, and that occurred on their watch. Why would we want them to take care of them when there are better ways out there, and one of those ways could be through religious institutions? No, I'm I'm with you there. And and to me, one of the, the great tragedies that, that has come with government taking over, just for instance, the, the charitable part of what, what used to be the mission of churches and believers, is that it's caused a lot of people to switch their conscience to off because they reason, well, you know, they take my tax money and that's there to help the needy. And so essentially they're feeling absolved from any personal responsibility to help people who are in need. But uh, but government is, as you've pointed out many times, and as I like to point out, is horribly inefficient and often creates unintended consequences and sometimes even worse consequences when it tries to fix a problem. And one of the things that I really love about Christianity, in fact, to me, it is one of the strongest things about the religion that I like about it. It is a religion of volunteerism. Nobody forces you to be a Christian. It's never been, you know, I I don't want to say it's never been forced on anyone, but as as a religion itself, it is designed upon your own acceptance. You accept the beliefs. You're not even forced to, there are, you know, no penalties, no outward penalties. We don't chop off heads. We don't chop off hands. None of that stuff. If you do not agree with those tenants, it's all based upon that free will, that ability of you to say, I accept this and I choose to go this way. Versus having someone tell me that I have to go this way. And from a society, again, point of viewpoint, that how do you build a great society? One of free choice. We choose to be a great society, not forced to, not having others tell us what it is, but we choose it on our own. No, and, and again, an, an excellent point there. For virtue to really be virtue, it has to be freely chosen. It can't just be, you know, some dictate, well, everyone shall do this. And, you know, you have no choice in the matter. You want to be a good person. You have to choose to be a good person when you could just as easily have chosen not to be a good person. That's what makes it a virtuous choice and a virtuous act. And so all of these, all these uh, government programs, for instance, that that are to take care of the needy, um, they don't really give you that choice. That money comes out of your paycheck, whether you like it or not. If you try to avoid it, well... There's going to be a reckoning with the IRS and maybe in court and maybe you're going to go to jail because you didn't do, you know, the right thing and make that uh, that money available to government so it could dole it out as it uh, deems, you know, most useful. And so that's kind of like the solution for Christians. Like, what do we do? There it is. You have to redefine what the religion is all about. And I think as Christians, we should hold ourselves responsible and accountable for not doing the job we were commanded to do. And, the, and that is preach, preach the religion as it really is and preach those things about the religion that made it so successful. It was the dominant religion in the world. It still is the dominant religion in the world because of those tenets. But we've gotten lost. We're man, are we way off on on how we are promoting it? 
You know, um, I'm looking at some statistics here real quick before we go to break. Um, This is from a Gallup news or Gallup poll. Church members in a survey of America's religious attitudes and practices, church members constituted just 47 percent of the U.S. population in 2020. That is down 23 percent. In the last 22 years, since 1999, that's when the percentage seldom dipped below 70%. And that raises the question, right. why the huge drop? What does that portend for the future? Now, we've got some other stuff we were going to talk about. We'll get to that just the other side of news. Please stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And I've got a link to this article about America Unchurched. And what it means for the future. I'll have that in the show notes. You can check that out. Gary, we have some other important things we'd like to discuss today. One thing I wanted to bring up was the COVID narrative, which appears to be falling apart like a soup sandwich. And you had the chance during the break to to look at a, a photograph from a Texas Ranger Stadium. Um, what did you think? <laughs> If there was ever an anti-COVID statement, that picture, you know, the picture of a thousand words, that was it. That that was just showing how deceptive this narrative has been all along. I mean, it was just a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? That President Biden was, you know, dangling the carrot in front of us and saying, now, if you just do what you're told and trust the government to protect you, you might be able to gather in small groups by July 4th. Well, I hope nobody shows him that picture of of Ranger Stadium because (laughs) there's tens of thousands of people. What did you say? 40,000 people there? 40,000 is sold out. 40,000 elbow to elbow, no mask. Yeah. I mean, maybe somebody in there is wearing a mask, but I'm telling you, the majority of them, no, sir. And then I I have another chart below that showing new confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Texas, Michigan, New York, New Jersey, and Mississippi. Texas and Mississippi are wide open. Michigan, New Jersey, New York still have some pretty significant lockdowns. And it is, you can't deny the states that have, have dispensed with the lockdown versus the ones that have the lockdowns. I mean, come on, Texas has 20 million more people than Michigan, and yet their numbers are, you know, not only just noticeably low, but dramatically lower in terms of new cases. And even recently, both the CDC and the so-called government experts have been saying, now's not the time to relax. You know, you and I living in Utah, we're hearing the radio ads and we're in it even from our own government officials. Now's not the time to relax. You know, keep those standards up, everybody. We still comply with what we tell you. And then you've got these days that are just blatantly throwing it in their faces and going, now we're not. And guess what? You know what? Nothing's happening. And yeah, it's all not, these disasters. It's not a matter of them being reckless. It's not a matter of them just, oh, you can't tell me what to do. It's it's just simply people are saying enough. Because they've, they've had too many of these alleged experts tell us, well, you need us, citizen. We keep you safe. We clean up the messes caused by allowing you too much freedom. We're smart. You're dumb. Trust us. 
And and the public clearly, at least in, in some of these cases, is saying no more. <laughs> we'll take it from here. Thank you. You may go do whatever it is you do. And I've been saying this for a very long time. We just have to wait it out. It, it was, you know, we were we were preaching our message back in November and back in in last summer and saying this that this is all just yeah, it, it is not the right reality. But nobody was listening, and and I kept saying, just wait it out. We just got to give it a little bit of time. I am starting to see those cracks. I think this dam is starting to show some really big leaks in it. Texas being a big wide hole. And and that that's just going to break it down because they are they're showing that, look, we're to doing all the things they're saying not to do. We're not doing any of the things that they say to do. And yet look at our infection rates and look at our death rates and, and compare that to this. I've always said this. These government regulations that they they put in place made things worse. And I really do. I attribute over 100000 deaths to our government, not to the disease. They would have been prevented if the government would have took the right action in, in, in their reaction to this disease. I expected at some point the obvious would would make it so that, uh, you know, the, the proponents of lockdowns would finally have to say, OK, well, maybe it didn't work out like we intended. We're sorry you were right, but they don't. In fact, you know, if anything, uh, the politicians and the, the news media, which has been enabling all of their uh, their policies, tend to double down. I mean, I don't know if you heard this yesterday. Did you hear about the, the new variant? Right. Yes. The, oh, new, yes. the yes. double mutated variant, the super scary psychedelic, you know, <laughs> variant that apparently is coming out of California and which apparently throws everything that is good in our lives, you know, back into lockdown mode. They they just will keep pushing this agenda as much as they, as long as they can. And it's only when the overwhelming evidence starts coming out that they're wrong. And that's that is a good thing for these states that are pushing back. And and I wish there would be more states that would that that would push back and just say, all right, we're not accepting that narrative. They'll never back down. Government has never meant admit that they were wrong. They always just push this agenda until the point that we tell them they're wrong. So true. Moving on to another timely topic. Talk to me about uh, spending. Um, we've uh, the stimulus just hit. I mean, look, I've, I'm not bragging. I'm still kind of. I'm feeling guilty. I just got a, a, a stimulus card in the in the mail, and uh, I don't even know how much is on it. I haven't activated it yet. But while I appreciate checks with my name on them, this money feels dirty to me. I can't be the only one. I, well, so I think you and I talked about this when the first stimulus came out and I always have had the view because I've had like people tell me I'm not going to spend it. And I always said I am. Uh, And the reason why is because I hold them responsible. You caused this. You caused my economic downturn. It's your fault. And just like any other company, if I if I use your product and I lost income because I used your product or did your, you know, use your services and through that I lost income, I can hold you responsible and I can sue you. So I look at these stimulus checks as this simply government saying, yeah, we caused an economic, we caused the greatest economic damage in U.S. history. And uh, we're sorry about that. So here's a little bit of a payment for you. But with that, I recognize what they're doing. And the scary part about this is here we are, what, 90 days into Biden's um, presidency, 
and he's got three bills now that he's throwing out there that are not just billions, not hundreds of billions, but trillions of dollars. And the question, we need to start getting to this question because we're getting there. I don't know when and where, and I was going to even talk to you and ask you about this, but at what point is it where we achieve the point that there's no return, that we're done? We, the debt, there is going to come a time when the debt will become too much. We cannot repay it back and we cannot support it any longer. And that's when things will collapse. And the question is, how close are we to that point? Yeah, I don't know the answer, but my gut says it's a lot closer than any one of us wants to think. I mean, we're seeing inflation start to to show up in, in various ways. Gas prices, one of the more obvious ones, even though it's it's volatile. It's interesting, right? They When they measure inflation, what don't they include? Well, we don't include gas. We don't include uh, groceries. And what else was it? Rent, maybe? Anyway, basically, three of the things that absolutely, positively, everybody has to spend money on. But we don't include those. We only look at, you know, durable goods or these kind of things. Everything is costing more. I mean, Gary, when you go to the grocery store and you start, to, you know, buying a pack of bacon. Hey, look, the price hasn't gone up. It's, you know, it's under three bucks for a pack of bacon. Yeah, look at the weight on that bacon. That's not a pound. Right. You're short by 25%. That is, that's 12 ounces of bacon. But little by little, we're, we're seeing those costs go up, which which really in, it, it indicates the purchasing power of every dollar is going down. Why is it going down? Well, for the same reason that the flavor in a pitcher of Kool-Aid goes down as you add more water. The purchasing power is being watered down with all the money that's being dumped into the economy. And it's, you know, you're right. It can't go on forever. But it sure seems like uh, like this infrastructure bill. You know, how, right. much, how much of it was absolute, was actually going to go to infrastructure? Maybe a third. I think right. I, I think I'm being generous. And what was the rest of it going to pet programs, including uh, what was it? Climate justice and uh, and uh, various diversity and equality or equity initiatives, you know, on the part of social justice. That kind of sounds like somebody's looting the Treasury for the benefit of their uh, ideological fellow travelers, or at least that's what it sounds like to me. And even with the stimulus checks, with the stimulus packages, same thing. At least, you know, like the last two of them, like 40% was going into non-economic rebuilding, but just pet projects that they were looking for. Yep. Well, you know, the, and the, the system is, is being set up such that, um, that those who want to spend like that with the promise the taxpayers will pay it all back with interest are pretty much free to do what they want to do. Which is going to bring us to our final topic, which we'll get to here in the final segment, and that is uh, Georgia recently passed some uh, uh, voter ID laws, among other things, to clarify. Essentially, what I understand is they're making it tougher to cheat in an election. And right. oh, the reaction. Oh, well, this is Jim Crow. This is this is the worst thing ever. In fact, it's so bad the Major League All-Star, Major League Baseball All-Star game is going to be moved from Georgia to Colorado. That's a story as well. We will continue our discussion just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And as we were going to break, we mentioned we'd be talking a little bit about what was going on in Georgia. And Gary, I don't know, was there anything more we needed to say about the spending and... And and or can we just shall we just segue right into Major League Baseball and woke corporate America and, and what it's causing? Yeah, because it has an impact on on how government spending and things that they do impact on the economy. So where do, where do you want to begin? Georgia passes a voter. Uh, I, I guess it was a, a, an anti-voter fraud law to, to prevent some of the. Um, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Some of the questions that arose over potential misconduct in the last election, which people are being told there was none, but clearly there was controversy. Uh, they pass a law requiring voter ID, requiring that uh, you don't uh, d- distribute food and water to poll workers, especially if you're you know, dressed in, uh, in campaign attire. And this has, has caused people to say that, well, you're just you're trying to keep black people from voting. And, and I'm still trying to make that connection as to, to how that's an attack against black voters, but um, it's it's not computing for me. How about you? No, and and that is absolutely a false narrative. I'm actually very familiar with the groups and organizations that have been fighting for a long time for election reform in Georgia. Georgia is one of the states that has been very bad on having fraud elections for a very long time and and realize too that republicans have been benefiting from this so these laws are not coming from what i would call the establishment republicans it's actually coming from strong libertarians and conservatives that are saying we want to change these laws and we've been fighting this for six years and they finally got something through because of this last election. They built the momentum for people to say, wait a second, what happened here in Georgia was not right. Well, it's got people fired up. I mean, uh, Delta Airlines has been making, you know, some noise. I guess, you know, they're a huge hub there in in Atlanta. Um, uh, The Major League Baseball all-star game is being moved. I thought this was interesting. Where are they moving it to? Why, Coors Field in Colorado. Oh, that's great. Hey, does Colorado have a voter ID law? Yeah, (laughs) they do. (laughs) You have to show a photo ID before you can vote. Oh, do they have any rules about, uh, you know, bringing food and water to poll workers? Yes, as a matter of fact. And if you're wearing, you know, campaign attire, you're not supposed to come within 100 feet of poll workers. So, yeah, kind of kind of interesting how, you know, it's it's so bad and it's it's just a throwback to Jim Crow on the part of Georgia. But uh, Colorado. Yeah, that's OK. Major League Baseball. Would you like to explain what the difference is here and how, how that works? Because I'm not sure the rest of us are following. As always, um, the the their inability to see their own hypocrisy is amazing. It is no not only like you guys are wearing shady glasses, but. Uh, you got blindfolds on because you just don't see it. I'm very concerned about woke corporate America. And and it's not because I work within woke corporate America. I mean, uh, Gary, you understand this well. Uh, working within corporate America can, can mean some benefits like a steady paycheck, good benefits, you know, job security and so forth. But the price that comes along with that is uh, nothing 
is is safe from the scrutiny of the woke corporate uh, overlords. So posts that you make on social media on your own time, they don't even have to be. You know, it's not like you're you're posting really outrageous, offensive stuff. But if if it's something that uh, doesn't fit the woke agenda, you can very easily find yourself out of a job. And so that's it's becoming a, a huge influencer. And what troubles me is. The government sits back and says, well, we're not the ones doing censorship. You know, this is just these are private corporations. Don't they have property rights to which, you know, the libertarian in me says, yeah, they have property rights. But at the same time, they're doing the dirty work that government is too scared to do on its own because it knows it would be called out for censorship. And it's disturbing the amount of power and influence that corporate America is is starting to exercise. I hope there's some pushback against this woke corporate culture. This is all part of the socialist agenda. So you got to look at this from a perspective of socialist regimes and how they work and how they operate. And we all look at communism and saying, well, you know, that's, that's the model to build. But in reality, when you look at, you know, socialist South America, socialist uh, Europe, you see a much different kind of, of government corporate kind of co- uh, cooperative, I would say. And what most people do not realize, and I've been preaching this for a very long time, is large corporations love big government. They do. love big government. And it's because and, they're in bed with it for the most right. part. They, that's that's their partner. It benefits them. You, you, and you go, no, but they get taxed all this money. Trust me, the taxes that they are paying and the so-called taxes without the loopholes, because they always create these loopholes only for them that they can use, is really all not, not, not much. But their, their obligation and the risk that they have to their business is much greater in a free market capitalist society than a socialist one. So them teaming up together should be no surprise to anyone but they have taken it to the next level, which is now we are cooperating openly with your government overlords and suppressing whatever you, you know free thought you had or our ability to do something on your own, your free will. We'll join them in suppressing this and getting you to think with us and do what we tell you and do it the way we tell you. Yep. And I know there may be people who are reluctant to even consider this, and I understand. There's a time I would have been reluctant to do so as well, when someone would say, well, come on now, you know, these uh, these are corporations and businesses. They're free to act how they wish. But look at what they're doing. They are now in lockstep with the Democratic Party and sometimes the Republican Party, which isn't always on the side of freedom. They're in lockstep with hostile nations like China. They control speech on many different platforms and servers, uh, these corporations are starting to influence who can be loaned money, who gets jobs, who retains their employment, what information the masses will get on a daily basis through advertising, etc. And they're, they're very definitely influencing our society, but they're also basically an arm of the state in the sense that they receive favor from the state uh, in contracts and tax incentives and in suppression of competition. So it seems to me that no one can say they're just a disinterested, you know, third party, you know, standing by and doing their own thing. They're working. And, well, I'm going to use the term working because uh, otherwise it leads to they're in bed with government. And and that's that's who they partnered up with. 
And something doesn't seem right to give them free reign um, under those circumstances. Maybe there needs to be a separation of uh, business and state. Here's the big question that we should be asking. How come there is no large conservative libertarian style corporation that is boycotting blue states and, and liberal governments? There's not one. There's nothing. Have you ever heard of what we would call a right-wing company, a company that supports right values and, and conservative libertarian values, coming out and saying, well, we're pulling out of New York City because of their oppressive laws that they are promoting, or we're, we're pulling out of Chicago because of what they're doing to suppress the, the people and the laws that they create. That never happens. It's always on the other side of things. No, it's true. Other, I mean, the only one I could think of, and I was racking my brain, was maybe my pillow. But I don't even know if that's a big company at this point. Yeah, there there are companies out there, Chick Fil A, My Pillow, and, and there are out there, but no, you know, no Coca Colas, no Delta style companies, no MLB, and, and we should even talk about that. Is uh, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, you are enjoying a um, uh, a monopoly provided by your government. So um, maybe you should reconsider how you use that monopoly because why you're denying citizens the ability to, to appreciate your services and the things you offer because of your political stance. And yet you do so under the benefit of a government providing you with a monopoly to make sure that you have no competitors so yeah. that the people of Georgia can't say, okay, for uh, braves out, you go see you later. We're bringing in another team now because we're going to start another Major League Baseball League. I seriously wonder what it would take to be the straw that breaks the camel's back to where enough people say, I've had enough of this, and simply stop supporting sporting events, whether it's Major League Baseball, whether it's NBA, whatever. Um, but they just simply vote with their pocketbooks and say, nah, I'm going to find something else to do. Gary, it's been great hashing out these topics with you today. Thank you so much for stopping by. And as always, it just doesn't seem like there's enough time, man. I just, man, I would, I need, I need days, Brian. I just need all days. <laughs> okay, same time next week. We'll uh, we'll book it, it and uh, we'll see you back here then. You got it, brother. This is The Brian Hyde Show.